This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I was surprised at, at, at the shift myself when, when we got started getting scripts from season two. But, you know, when you look back on the whole five seasons, you realize that they were picking different aspects of Baltimore of the story. I thought it was terrific, and there's just some really great characters in it in season two. That whole group of guys on the docks. I, I thought it was really, really well done and very interesting. It added a whole other element. That was the voice of John Doman, who played the one and only Bill Rawls in The Wire. I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And welcome back, guys, to season two proper. Thank you so much for your patience. But we're here and we're talking about season two, episode one, Ebb Tide. Yes, we are back. We're going to be watching every episode of season two of The Wire every week. Uh, and you can join along. Yeah, watch it with us. Chat to us. We're at The Wire Stripped on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And also our email address is burner at thewirestripped.com. So email us there. We love getting emails and tweets and Facebooks and Instagrams from you guys. So please do uh, get in touch with us. Right. So on with the chat. Me and Kobe have watched season two, episode one. It's great. Here's us chatting about it. He got the fire and the fury at his command. You don't have to worry When you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole Well, Kobe, here we are. We're back again. Season two. Absolutely. Episode one. Ebb Tide. Ebb Tide. Ebb Tide. And because this season is, you know, introduces the docks. Yeah. And uh, heavily involves shipping containers. Yeah. We thought we would find London's sort of most famous shipping container. And it, we're at the Box Park yep. in Shoreditch. And we can we are next to and in amongst lots of containers. An actual shipping container. Absolutely. Which uh, obviously has been converted into some sort of hipster bar hipster street bars, food yeah, paradise. We have pop-up shops, we have falafels, we have 
soft serve, which is ice cream, as far as I uh, am aware. I have no idea. It sounds like we're sponsored by these guys, but we're absolutely not. But they just have shipping containers, they so do. we had to come here. Come to, our, come to our Twitter page, you can see what we, we're stood next to. Yes. Um, but we thought it gets the look and feel, it gets the sound and feel of the episode and what and the why which we just watched season two, episode one. And also we didn't really want to hang out by a docks. No. Uh, by um, ourselves. So do you want to talk about, uh, what, what storyline do you want to run into first? Well, there's quite a few. I mean, it's like it's funny looking at this compared to season one, yeah. Because uh, we have, it feels like more dense already, doesn't it? Like because there's a lot more characters, uh, with but we've got all the same characters. Yeah. Um, most of the same characters. Most most of the same characters. Yeah. Where's Bob's at? Um, <laughs> most of the same Where characters people. and a load of new characters. And it, we've kept the cops plotline going. They've kept the Barksdale plotline going, and they've introduced the docks. Yeah. So we've kind of got a lot to get through. So bear with us. We're gonna we're kind of just gonna rattle through everything that happened in uh, in this episode. I think the first uh, the first storyline to talk about, and it's where we start, is is McNulty. Yep. Um, so McNulty and his uh, best new pal Diggins, <laughs> uh, who's a total legend. He just feels like he's been on that boat for decades, yeah, he's just doesn't he? Yeah, been worn down that and doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. He's not caring anymore. He's just like, whatever, this fresh new blood. Um, and we get a quick little cold open with McNulty and Diggins out in the boat. It's sort of, this is their day to day. They're towing rich people out yep. who've been abandoned. It seems very mundane. This seems like a real step down from McNulty. And he's kind of taking bribes, which is an, another thing. Well, I guess this one is, what, what do you do? It's easy money. He's not going to do anything anyway with it. So it, with the, not with hurting time, anybody. Yeah. So might as well take something on the side. Uh, I'm not I'm condoning uh, police bribery, uh, listeners. But <laughs> <laughs> if the wire strip does not condone police bribery. Yes. If you're in McNulty's position, what would you what would you do? Um, Jump off the boat. Um, <laughs> so I mean, obviously, then later uh, we go back to McNulty and he finds a body. Yeah. Uh, it's in the water. He's fishing it out. It's it's really gr- unglamorous, um, and he decides to check in with homicide. Yeah. Um, and this is you know he tells them he's got a body. He's got a Jane Doe. They're like not our problem county lines yep. <laughs> off you go uh, and we also get a little little moment uh, a face off with him and Jay where we find out that Jay is the one that told Rawls yep. McNulty doesn't like the water <laughs> so get to that so he's, the, he's to blame for him freezing his ass off as it were although I would love a little spin off show with McNulty on the high seas <laughs> like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean style well like him like Jack Sparrow yeah yeah Captain <laughs> Jimmy McNulty uh Solving crimes, towing boats out in the open water. We never really had. We never really had sort of a crime show set in the set in the water, do we? Producer Tom here, stepping in with my first fact check of the Wire Strips season two. Excuse the fact that you can hear my washing machine in the background, but when a fact needs checking, you can't wait for your clothes to be clean. I just wanted to intervene and remind you of shows such as Baywatch. Okay, that was set on a beach, but it was water adjacent. And then there was Water Rats, an Australian TV police procedural broadcast on the Nine Network from 96 to 2001. That was based on the work of the men and women of the Sydney Water Police who fight crime around Sydney Harbour. Could not be more water and crime based. If you have any other water based crime shows, please do not send them in. Thank you. Um, NCIS maybe? I don't know. You're right though. I don't know. Here we go. We've got, we're on to a winner, Kobe. I think we are. Um... So lastly, the last bit of McNulty storyline we get in this episode is 
possibly my favourite moment of this episode, and it's one that stuck with me over these ten years. Um, the the dogged determination of McNulty to just fuck over Rawls <laughs> in any way he can. It's McNulty's revenge. He spends three hours proving through uh, flow charts and tie charts or whatever they are, loads of cartography, look real boring yeah. stuff. He's scanning stuff. He's but faxing he, he, stuff. You know, he can tell. You can't see inside his mind, but you can tell that he's really enjoying showing <laughs> yeah. that this is a city problem and therefore is going to stick it that Jane Doe. Onto, onto Rawls and Landsman, and he, he couldn't loves be that happier. Fax. Yeah, but like it's a real drop the mic moment, isn't it? it? Is. When he faxes it off, last thing. I love the fax turns thing, by the, the way. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> and off he goes. You make no a gaping asshole. We both know it. <laughs> you got to have conflict to really have any drama. <laughs> there was plenty of conflict. Here's John Doman again. He's telling us about what he thought of his character, Bill Rawls. I think he was always pragmatic and certainly results driven. Having said that, I think there's probably an element that he recognizes in McNulty that was probably part of him in his younger days. But I think the system wears him, wears you down, particularly if you want to get ahead in the system. You know, you got to learn how to play the game. And I think he was the ultimate uh, game player as far as, <clears throat> as far as that system was concerned. You know, it was, it was results driven. They had that whole Comstat uh, room and the meetings where they would come in and go over the statistics. It was really very numbers-driven. That's, that's the way the game was played, and he played it well. The second storyline, um, well, we get more Valchek in this season. I love Valchek. Yeah, and I actually think, so Valchek actually is one of the main instigators for all the season. You know, we'll find out more in a bit. Um, so he's telling, he's there with Prez. Prez is like... I need to be in like a detail because that's where I really shine. I need to be in something important. And Valtek kind of listens to him and then goes, well, you're my son-in-law, so you're going to be sergeant, take another exam, you'll, you'll just rise through the ranks and I'll put you somewhere safe and you'll be able to take care of my, my daughter and we can have kids and that'll be all good. Prez doesn't like it, but at the same time, he hasn't really got the, the backbone to speak out against him. No. And all the while, Valchek's really just looking at his, his new stained glass yeah, window, which is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. He's just pulling out the bits of stained glass, which is quite cool, actually, because I didn't know how stained glass windows were kind of put together. I just assumed it like, came in one big piece. And he, he's pulling out the dove, he's pulling out the different bits. Um, I didn't know that either. No. So you can, like, we learn all sorts this of is, things. We learn something new every day. I, I really like the character of uh, Valchek because I thought that the way... David Simon, our writers wrote it. it. It just seemed to me to be like a really, a truly realistic, real person. You know, hi, my name is Valchek, or my name was Valchek in the great show called The Wire. I don't like Polish food any more after being Valchek than I did before when I was just playing Al Brown. I thought Valchek, although he certainly wasn't perfect, I think in the final analysis at least the way I played the role, he he was a damn good cop. Do you know what I'm saying? He might have had his own idiosyncrasies, et cetera, et cetera. But when it came right down to it, he, he was a damn good cop. I certainly can understand Valchek's annoyance, you know, but, but how he was somewhat unhappy with the kind of cop his his son-in-law was. I don't think that he thought the son-in-law had paid his dues to become 
a, a cop of any consequence in Baltimore. So we go back to, we see Kima. So this is going back to some of the cops that we'd, we'd got to know and love from the previous season. We see Kima. She's become a quote-unquote house cat. <laughs> sitting behind the desk and... She has a computer. She now. has a computer. She's got upgraded. Yeah. It was just typewriter last season. <laughs> and her comes in and um, laughs and berates white drug dealers because they're easy to catch. Yeah. And they have got no sass about them. And he's just laughing his ass off. He's like, yeah. I love this little anecdote. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, when can I bring you the drugs? Do you want the drugs? <laughs> it's excellent. Fucking white boys. I love them. I fucking love them. Yeah. Dumb as a box of rocks. Who? White boys. Talking about the brain deads in my Kane Street case. I call him up. I tell him I want to buy some drugs. You know what he says? He says, okay, I'll sell you the drugs. How much drugs do you want? I swear to God, Kane, they don't code it. They don't ask for a meat, nothing. And then when you make the deal, there's no running, no bullshit. It's the guy himself walking up to you in the parking lot saying, I brought the drugs. Did you bring the money? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Have much respect for black people after working with these idiots for two weeks. No, seriously, if white boys want to sell drugs in Baltimore, I have to make different laws for it. Like, even it out for Affirmative action. Leave no white man behind. Kima goes back to Cheryl, and yeah, they're planning for a baby. Which is interesting. And do you know, in this, in this season, actually, uh, Cheryl is actually pregnant. So this is her real baby growing inside her. I did not know yeah. that. That's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a nice little touch. Yeah. Did you know, I, did, I couldn't help but notice the name of the book that was on the coffee table. What was it? It was called, it was the most literal title I've ever seen. It was called... The lesbian parenting book, <laughs> <laughs> which I, well, I, I, I guess fair enough. Well, Why yeah, not? you know what you're getting. I, and I actually looked it up. It's a real thing. It's on Amazon. It's, it's a real book. How much is it on Amazon? And then I spent like uh, like twenty minutes reading all the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Something's wrong with me, Kobe. So we go back. We see Bunk. First of all, he comes to see Jimmy on the boat. Ahoy, matey. And says hello. The girls are always telling me about the little man in the boat. Now I know who they're talking about. <laughs> Come on board, man. Uh-uh, Come uh-uh. on, I want to show you. Uh-uh, fuck no. What's the matter? The bunk can't swim. I ain't too good at floating, neither. Um, and he's trying to find Omar because the the, the bird trail the bird trial is coming up um, to try and find, or to try and nail Bird for shooting Gant. The, and Omar's in the wind. Yeah, and Omar's in the wind. Jimmy doesn't know where he is. Bunk thinks he knows where he is, and that's all the kind of tests there. And it's good to see them back together, even, if they're, even though they're not in the pub yet. <laughs> they will be very soon. They will be very soon, yeah. And we see Bunk goes back to, uh, it goes into into evidence, and that's where we meet Daniels, where he's been put down a few pegs or two. So sad. Yeah. I mean, literally, he's yeah. down like several floors. He is, yeah, in the he's basement. under the building. <laughs> it's very sad. I feel like, because oh, Daniels was all about his career. Yeah. Um, so this this really just took away everything he had. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sad to see such an, I don't know, never know how to say this word. Ignominious, ignominious, an ignominious, ignominious. and as it, an ignominious end uh, to somebody who really, you know, by the end of season one, he had he had one of the the biggest character turnarounds. Absolutely, you know? he was as invested in 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 completing the the details work yeah. as anybody, and they did it for the most part. And this is his reward. So yeah. it's 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 really tragic, and it's indicative of sort of how David Simon sees the world and maybe how the world really is in that there are no rewards for for success. Well, no, yeah, not for <laughs> Sorry, Daniels, it looked yeah, really depressed bleak, now. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, no rewards for success. <laughs> Shit, man. Um, it's true, though. It's just that's that's how the wire is, right? It's all just, it's it's just a circle. It just keeps going. There, There's 
everything's everything's feeding off of everyone else like it's like a parasitic loop i'm getting really i'm getting really bleak here but it's also really funny <laughs> it is kobe and dave the wire stripped uh my name is brendan i'm a super fan of the wire i've watched it eight or nine times i think i'm on my ninth right now introducing my wife to it i don't think she likes it so i'm not sure how it's going to work out but there you go um season two season two jesus the first time i saw season two i didn't think much of it um it just seemed a bit too uh, maybe a bit too close to home white working class boy and all that um after watching it three four five six seven eight times i relate to that so it's my definitely definitely my favorite season but ziggy what an absolute cunt and i think most people most people can relate to what a cunt ziggy is because everyone knew a ziggy absolute piece of shit and just dragging your friends into trouble that you didn't want to get into and you're all just trying to make your own way in the world fuck ziggy uh, but season two is the best. Anyway, thanks for the podcast, Kobe and Dave. Let's uh, let's let's get some crab claws sometime. Be good. And that was a message from Brendan on our burner phone. Um, Brendan, liberal with the C bombs there. Thank you very much. I guess I don't know. We've, we've, I guess Dave, we've set the we've set the stalls out for using the, the C bomb. <laughs> yeah, we had a C bomb in the live show. C bomb in the burners. Yeah, uh, you guys are just outdoing yourself. Guys, we really do want to hear from you from the burn on the burner phone. A lot of people try to ring us, but we can only take it the call if you leave us a memo on WhatsApp. Uh, our, our number is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. That's plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight, and that is free from anywhere in the world. But it has to be a voice memo on WhatsApp, and we're looking forward to hearing from all of you guys. Yeah, guys, it's 2018. We can't uh, we can't accept voicemails anymore. No. And um, just, just to remind you, of course, there is a competition, guys. For for anyone who loses a burner message, you'll be entered into a competition to win a signed All the Pieces Matter book as signed by Clark Peters. That's right. And if you didn't catch the number, it's on all our social channels at The Wire Stripped. So for that burner message, we asked you, what were your general thoughts on season two? And we asked some of our contributors the same questions you're going to hear from some of them now first up is james dyer from the empire magazine podcast and the brand new pilot tv podcast i got so into the stringer avon story you know and that all wrapped up in season one and you were just like where's this going to go in season two what are they going to tell you know what aspect of it and then you start mcnulty on the boat you're like okay i can get with this this is where mcnulty is this is familiar to me and then you have the opening titles and then it goes straight into the stevedore story and i was like who the fuck are these guys do you know what I mean? It's like, what the hell is going on? You know, where is everyone? And, you know, everyone comes into it, you know, and, and, and Bodhi's in that episode and uh, and you do see String. But it's 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 a different story. It's not just a different subject. It's not just different people. The tone is different. Like, it just feels like a different show. And I think the thing that, that jarred me most of all was the theme song. Like, having Tom Waits do it when you're so familiar with the Blind Boys of Alabama cover, I was just like, what is going on? Like, what is this show? What is this music? Get the fuck out. And it takes, I think it takes watching it again. I think it takes watching the whole show again and seeing it in context. And then you realise that two actually is, I mean, it is a great series. I think the uh, Switch of Theme Tunes works really well because Tom Waits, I think more than any other singer, feels like he could be in the wire season two you're now hearing from chris hewitt who is a podcaster and film journalist with empire magazine you feel especially that season you feel that you could 
go down to the docks. And he could be Frank. He could play Frank. <laughs> There's an alternate universe where Tom Waits is Frank. And I, I really like Chris Bauer. I think he does a fantastic job. But now I want to see that version. I've, even though I've just thought of it, I want to see it. Because that would be amazing. It's actually Bodhi, I think, who says it best when he says, if we're low, it's because String won it that way. When he wants us to be up, we'll be up. This is Joe Kiley. He's a podcaster and my co-host on the podcast, Scheitgeist. In other words, be patient. Yes, the main players from West Baltimore aren't featuring as heavily as they were, but they will in time. When it's time for them to play their part, they will be back. And in the meantime, there's a growing sense of a living, breathing city. And the entire context of the show is being expanded. So that by the time you come back to West Baltimore at the end of season two and into season three, you have a way better impression of, for instance, the decline of industry in the working class and how neighborhoods get to be like West Baltimore. When we started season two, you know, there was a lot of excitement of of seeing familiar faces getting back on set. You're now hearing from Damon Gordon, who was a production assistant on season two of The Wire being around, you know, your your wire family again. Um, and it felt, day one, it felt immediately different. And I, I don't want to be cinematic about it, but it felt very, uh, it felt very uh, Empire Strikes Back. Like, it felt like a part two to something. Like, it, you know, there was something different, but yet the same about it. Um, and that was the, the, the real vibe from, from day one going into season two. It just, it was the same but it just felt a little off just a little bit season two just stood out to me uh immediately this is andrew johnston who hails from the great state of maryland it's tonally different from the other seasons it's got way more humor in it mostly through ziggy it has but at the same time it also has some of the most heartbreaking moments where you just where you realize that the fates are conspiring against some of our characters. Like when people often say to David Simon that The Wire is like Shakespeare, but for TV, he always responds with, no, it's a Greek tragedy. Season two is where that becomes apparent. Like this is some old school storytelling that we... and. As someone who lived in Maryland and and knows a lot about these types of uh, characters, particularly the dock workers, you kind of know when the season starts, this isn't going to go well for any of them. The next storyline, uh, storyline three, is we're checking in with the Barksdale crew. Yeah. They're still around. No, There's, they're mostly in prison. Yeah. There's <laughs> still, some, still some people fleeting around. They're still out there, yeah. like Bodie, who we meet uh, driving up to, to Philly to yeah. collect some drugs. Unhappy about driving up to Philly. <laughs> He's never left Baltimore before, apart no. from when he was in juvie for, uh, what, less than 24 hours. I did like, oh yeah, <laughs> he wasn't there for long at all. Uh, classic escape. Yeah. The, um, I do like, yeah, I do like the little, uh, the anecdotes here about he did, he's never heard of a radio station outside of Baltimore. <laughs> this kind of, I mean, this is why The Wire is so good. Like mm. David Simon's script adds in all these tiny little incidental details that just flesh out a character. Because like to Bodhi, why, yeah, simply, why do you want to leave Baltimore? There's nothing, I know my people here. Why bother go to a different city? Yeah, that's his life. Yeah. That's what he knows. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out, I mean, I've never been to Baltimore or Philly, but I can't imagine it's that different. No, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, please write in to, to correct me, American listeners. So what does Bodhi do? Uh, so he picks up he picks up a car and freaks out uh, because there's no drugs in the car. Yeah. Uh, and him him and the rest of the crew go through the whole thing. Um, no drugs to be found, and we realise that Stringer Bell's actually got someone tailing them because their drug connect never delivered the goods. Yeah. Um, so. String doesn't know what's happened there, but he was looking for leaks and problems within his own organization because he's a smart businessman. Yeah. Uh, and so he had an extra level of surveillance on top of it. And he knows that now that Bodhi and the rest of that crew can be trusted. Yeah, they are legit. And then we also get um, uh, a little moment of um, String finding out that the Connect had been arrested and basically that nobody wants to deal with... Uh, with the Barksdale the crew, crew because of you know they're they're a bit stinky. Yeah, well they're all they're all they're all in prison now, and Avon, who's at the head of it, has not taken actually that much time. So they kind of think he's turned snitch. Yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah, so they don't want to they just wash, they just want to wash the hands of him because if he's down, then he could, he could take everyone else down. And who wants? I mean, that? I kind of get it. Like, I mean, oh, I, totally. I probably wouldn't do business with an organization whose CEO is in. Is in currently in prison. No, I, uh, I can see why the organization is. It's a logistical nightmare. Okay, this is this storyline is the biggest change to the rest to the whole show. We go to the ports, we're at the docks, and we meet a whole host of new people. Uh, we're going to focus on the main ones. Uh, Frank Sabotka. I love Frank Sabotka. It's such a, an amazing guy. Um, his heart's in the right place. Yes. So much. But his wallet isn't. His wallet. Well, his wallet. Well, yeah, not for him anyway. But his. his uh, How do you say it? His hands are in other wallets. His hands are in other pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at uh, at phrases. I think at the time I was what 35, 36 years old. So the first thing I see is that I've got like a 20-something-year-old son. Here's our chat with Chris Bauer, who played Frank Sabatka. That scared the shit out of me. I was like, well. How hungover was I that day that they saw me? You know, when I read for McNulty, did I look like I was 50? Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the first thing I started thinking about was the visual of the character and how to, uh, you know, establish his age and his, you know, his, um, his sort of the wear and tear, which is real practical stuff. To that end, when I went to Baltimore on my first day, I had them, instead of going to the production office to meet everybody, we went straight to the costume designer. And I got some shoes that didn't fit, and I got some pants that were too tight, and um, asked for a couple extra layers of clothes on top. And then I went over to the uh, hair and makeup people, introduced myself to them. They were all incredible. Everybody, I mean, it should be implicit in every anecdote here that every member of the cast and crew that I encountered on the wire was excellent and inspired at what they did. I mean, it was, it was such a, um, embarrassment of riches in that way. Anyway, they, they sort of fluffed my hair out and, and kind of emphasized, you know, my baldness so, and I think I even stuffed a t-shirt or two inside my uh, sweater. So by the time I went and met everybody, I felt much more comfortable at least looking the age that the character um, should look. We chatted to Jeffrey Pratt 
Gordon, who played Johnny 50. If you don't remember who Johnny 50 was, you'll remember his beard. He's a very prominent member of the Docs crew and pretty much Ziggy's best friend. One day, it was towards the end of the season, I went into the makeup trailer. Chris Bauer was sitting there. And so we were chatting, and they took the, the, um, the cape off of him. And I looked. I was like, Jesus, dude, you're fucking skinny. How did you lose so much weight on this show? I mean, it's been six months, but man, you look really thin. And he looks at me and says, are you being serious? He's like, yeah, fuck, dude, stand up. How'd you get so thin? He's like, Jeff, I wear a fat suit. And this whole entire show and all these scenes I'm in with him, I never knew he wore a fat suit every day. <laughs> so I really was the idiot. It was it was so hysterical. So we, we first meet him, he's taking abuse from another um, potential union leader um, because the whole system is, is, in, in, is in disarray. People turn up for work and they are unlikely to get work and people, uh, some of the dock workers are getting maybe four or five days of work per month and that is not much that they, they can't raise a family on that they can't plan on that um, and it's actually interesting I mean seeing how people are trying to do things from a legit point of view are struggling as well as people on the street side are struggling as well and uh, this is involving obvious drug taking for example this is just people trying to make their way as you should do through the normal governmental system but it's 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 an interesting like juxtaposition there that you mm. mentioned because if anything the drug business is is thriving and it's a, it's a more reliable it offers more reliable career prospects yeah um it, obviously as you know nick says at one point it's it's high risk yeah um you know clearly it's 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 legal and um more proper to to like work at the docks but if the work isn't there then what can you do what do you do and that's and that's sort of the core the core concept of where we meet these characters yeah. there, there's not enough work there's not enough money and so they've had to become resourceful as yeah. to how they can live yeah. in the city so we meet frank sabaka and the first person of his family we meet is nick sabaka his nephew and now we meet shortly afterwards ziggy his son oh ziggy 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 much maligned ziggy yes and he's one of the standout characters. As, as we go through the rest of the why, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but we just, his storyline is memorable. annoying and memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly is. And this is nothing against James Ransom, who plays Ziggy, and the, the writers behind, who, who wrote Ziggy. He plays, he plays Ziggy fantastically. He's he just, does an amazing job. Yeah. How can you, you have to be an amazing actor to create someone who's such a tool. <laughs> in season one we're introduced to McNulty's catchphrase the fuck did I do well in season two it's fucking Ziggy man and he is he's, he's an absolute arsehole he's a frustrating character from start to finish but the more I watch it the more that I get out of Ziggy and the more I can kind of understand his motivations and I think understanding Ziggy is key to season two at every turn, he is messing up, he's provoking people, spending his money, and he's doing everything wrong from everyone else's perspective. But he has this guiding motivation that's almost a secret to all of us. And I think in subsequent watches, I've kind of teased out, for me at least, what's motivating Ziggy. He's a product of his environment, like all the characters in the show and like everyone 
in the whole world, uh, it's his environment that's shaped him. So let's look at that environment and, and see what, what the values are. So in the old days, it would have been hard work and hard drinking and legendary capers. And that's what Ziggy grew up with. And that's what he's internalized. Now the ships are gone. So the work has dried up. The drinking seems to have remained, but he has still retained the love of a caper. Ziggy was such a dumbass. And part of Johnny 50 aspired to be as good as, as Ziggy. And so in my head, I was dumb and looked up to Ziggy, who was the biggest buffoon that ever walked. I think Ziggy is, well, he's loud and obnoxious and mm. irritating. Yeah. Um, but it's largely, I think it's to get attention. Yeah, I think attention-seeking, yeah. Yeah, his father doesn't seem to give him much attention. He's not, I mean, and as when we meet him in episode one, Frank basically fires him. And it's, yeah. all, it's all kind of for show, but I mean, it kind of sets up a very... Uh, tumultuous relationship between father and son when he kind of he wants to follow in his footsteps or he's trying to um, or maybe Frank is forcing him to we yeah. don't quite uh, get get a picture as to that um, but it's just not right for, he's like he's he's a square peg in a round yeah, hole you know, you know straight away he's not, he's not for this world for that world um, he's losing containers yeah he's losing containers <laughs> yeah. which is like I'm sure it's stevedore 101. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I think day one you turn up, they're like, all right, guys, so don't lose the containers yep. is the first thing. And then, uh, yeah, it. go home, come back tomorrow. He didn't write that down. <laughs> <laughs> go home, come back tomorrow. There probably won't be any work, yeah. uh, but keep coming back until you turn to a life of crime. Um, and we follow Frank as he goes to the church, um, the Polish church, Polish Catholic church, and he's happy to view the brand new stained glass window, which him and the rest of the union have put together to present to the church. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a stained glass window of the docks and people working on the docks and he's so proud of it. And this is where I guess some of the nooks, some of the... The seeds. Yeah, seeds of, seeds of hate come from Valchek. <laughs> I love how it all gets set up. Yeah. The last thing Valchek was, was naive. So he certainly knew that people dealing with, with the ocean or the water were very important to the economics of the Baltimore area, right? But but I don't think Balchek, I don't think he liked any of them sons of bitches at all. I, I think that that uh, conflict between Sabaka and Valchek is in a weird way, the thread, you know, sort of like the thread to the sweater that you could just kind of pull on and sort of unravel everything. Dramaturgically, it's, it's genius. Um, whether it functions just as something that, you know, um, takes Frank's eye off the ball or is just emblematic of a kind of pride and stubbornness that is part of one's fatal flaw. Um, either way, it was an obstacle. And it's about and it's and it's symbolic of that kind of civic pride that's the other thing too, the juxtaposition of taking a stand like that and asserting this sense of civic proprietary, and this is my church, these are my men, this is, these are my families. In other words, planting your flag in a piece of ground that you're willing to defend. Meanwhile, the society that you're working on behalf of 
is really getting ready to just sort of wipe you off the game. You know what I mean? Just like, just sort of like delete you. It's so sad. That's so tragic. Nothing is funnier in all of The Wire than this whole season hinges on a stained glass window. That's it. Falchek is just so pissed. He's not, it's not even him being like, oh, the stevedores are up to something, right? It's him being, those motherfuckers put us, they got ahead of me in line on the stained glass window. And that's it. All of it. Everything that happens is because Valchek's ego about that stained glass window. Can we talk about the stained glass windows a little bit? Of course. Because I think it's interesting to look at the two uh, side by side. Um, because Frank's one is very much, it's, it's, I mean, the builder in it is, or the dock worker is sort of champion and he's at the center of it. But there's a lot, but it's almost like there's a, a, a community there. There's a lot of people working together. Sure. Valchek's one is driven by narcissism. Yeah. Because it's very much him. It's like, it's basically him, right? It's clearly him. <laughs> um, like kneeling down almost like he's above this 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 young boy yeah um like in a really sort of condescending way like he's superior and almost like he's like uh, handing down his goodwill it's very it's it's it actually has some weird religious connotations to it that one but i think frank's one says a lot they say a, a lot about their characters yeah. frank is a frank is a union leader yeah. he's about community and he looks out for his community um, Valchek is all about himself. He's one of the most narcissistic characters in The Wire. Uh, and you can see that in, in their window <laughs> designs. Look no further. Well, I'm Catholic, and I grew up pretty strictly Catholic. And I, and I don't know, you know explicitly what the rules are about buying <laughs> stained glass windows. But I do know that donations to the church, uh, especially in old working class cities, the parish was the center of a lot of uh, political transaction and being in good standing with church administration gave you power. So, you know, whether or not it's, you know, by, plus if I remember, and now this is, you know, why I don't like talking about this so much because it's been a while, but I believe the content of the stained glass image has to do with the waterfront. So it's also, you know, uh, the pride in you know rendering the history of your work is really important so his motivation to do that makes total sense to me but um i'm just remembering all those scenes <laughs> well there's, there's there's a few kind of interactions here which i've which kind of which i kind of picked out we don't know where frank sabot is we, we don't know where sabot is getting his money from but he's happy to give what he has as much as he can do to the church and he wants to share the wealth as much as possible and we all know that the Catholic Church is a great place to put all your money <laughs> um, Valchek he turns up and says here's 2,500 dollars and then he finds out he's not going to get a stained glass window and he's like what if I give you 4,000 I'm kind of thinking well why don't you just give him if you give him 4,000 to the church just give him 4,000 why is this like a bartering thing why does this have to be based around this system of you being able to give or I don't know do you know what I mean yeah that's a great point because it's not because again it's not 
he's not doing it for the church. No. He's not doing it for the community. He's doing it to get his own image there. Absolutely. He's all about his own legacy and his own career. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. Whereas Frank's just like, here's the money. Oh, and great, I got a window. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a really good line in, in this scene I liked as well from the... Uh, from the the priest to Frank, because I thought the the priest comes across quite quite well in this scene, um, and he you can tell even he can sort of uh, suss out that Frank's getting this money from illegitimate sources, yes. and yeah. he kind of subtly reaches out an olive branch and says, "When was the last time you went to confession, Frank?" So he's kind <laughs> of happy to take the money, but he's also a little bit worried about Frank's soul, yeah. which I, I I really enjoyed that tiny little character interaction there. That's true. Only final Sabotka would send all the way to Esslingen for stained glass. The Germans are hard-headed, but you can't beat them for craft. And we was glad to do it, Father, for the church, you know. The truth is, I need to ask you something in return. Anything I can do. I need some FaceTime with the senator. Baba, she comes to the early mass on Sunday, the one in Polish. We got nothing but problems, Father. We need to see something happen with the C&D canal and the granary pier's been down for a year now. I got tough guys coming in to confess things I never heard before. I don't need you to tell me how bad things are at the docks. So you'll set something up with Mikulski soon? You didn't need a German window to ask me for that, Francis. And what's more, you've made offerings way above what it would take to get that window up there. How long since your last confession? <laughs> I'll see you, Father. A few things it would be nice to mention in this, in this episode, because there is a lot of things going on here. First of all, we see the Greeks for the first time. They discuss the shipping containers coming in. We're not going to talk, talk much about the Greeks. It's just the, we, we go to the cafe and we meet um, Spiros, and we meet the guy they call Boris, whose actual real name is Sergei, Sergei or Serge. And we meet the, the warehouse owner who always says Malacca. Well, Spiros and, and him always say Malacca, which is, means wanker in Greek. Um, we see them for the first few times. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, we, and we see the Greek, but it's not that apparent who the Greek is yet. Yes. If, you, if you're watching the show for the first time, you've seen him, yes. but you don't know who he is. Yeah, yet. you don't know who he is. Yeah. Um, and it took me till the end of this season to actually know who the Greek was. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because I'm literally that dense. Ep 2, it's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> we'll find out in episode 2. Hey, Frank. This episode, hey, we also meet Beady Russell. Just so I can finish my paperwork early, what exactly are you people going to be stealing today? I don't know. A couple luxuries. And it's great also for a few things, because another female police officer, um, another strong female character in, in The Wire, um, we first see her having a bit of tete-a-tete -tete with Frank, so they're on good terms. Yeah. You let her fuck with you like that? She's all right. I like her. She's just kind of doing her thing. She's not really fussed about what's going on. She knows there must be some kind of shit going on, but hey, what can you do? She's got her headphones in. Yeah, she's, she's got her headphones in. I wasn't really happy about driving around with the headphones <laughs> No, yeah, it's not, it's not quite safe. <laughs> but then at, the, at the end of this episode, you see on one of her routine kind of checks, she notices that the container door has been tampered with, uh, which is very insightful, actually. She's driving around, around 
not that fast, but same time, she's seen this yellow label that is has broken, and she decides to investigate. She's good police. She's you good know police. Yes, this is yeah. this is it. This is setting up her her character arc in this in this uh, season. She opens the door. Again, there's nothing obvious to anyone else that there's something wrong. But she decides to go further and further in. Unscrews the back. She sees like a false back. Unscrews it and immediately a dead hand falls on the floor and she shines a torch in and you see several dead female bodies in there and that's pretty much where, where this episode ends. It's a really shocking it is. ending um, and, a, and a real cliffhanger for the show. Yeah. Um, but I think this already, it's a statement of intent for season two yeah. that they are they're going places which are a lot more upsetting mm-hmm. and uh, confronting than than season one and i think that's an important thing it was a great way to end this episode as well because this episode has kind of been about setting the stall out for the rest of the rest of the season we see where the guys that we liked in season one are we see all these new guys come in and we've not even touched about touched on half the people in the docks we've not even talked about horseface (laughs) (laughs) they all have such great names they have some great names yeah do you think we need nicknames we do um yeah I can. I can't. Can I be Diggy D? You can be Diggy D. I'll be Squirrel. I don't know why. <laughs> Diggy D and Squirrel. <laughs> oh my God! I definitely would not listen to them on the radio. No. <laughs> it's the Diggy D and Squirrel Radio Hour. Um, Coming to you live from a shipping container. <laughs> <laughs> this episode also we see Dolores's bar for the first time. Oh, Dolores. Yeah. Lovely Dolores. Fantastic. She owns. She owns the bar where all the stevedores uh, and the dock workers go to. And this is where you see Ziggy get his cock out. And there's a little story that goes along with the beginning of Dolores in the in the first episode. This is Jill Redding who played Dolores, as in Dolores's bar. We had gone through everything. They brought the men in to rehearse the first episode. They didn't bring me in. So I was just plopped behind the bar. And I had my one line, which was to Ziggy, which was, hell is you doing? We did the thing, I don't know how many times, the scene, probably 10 times. Finally, the camera was on me for my close-up, and I could not think of the line, hell is you doing? So I proceeded to swear at him, and that worked. And they let me get away with it, and then they started changing the lines to suit Dolores. Um, all right, is that is it a prosthetic or not? It's a prosthetic. It is. Yeah, confirmed. It's, it's pr- confirmed. And I'm um, doing the research on that. <laughs> well, I read what the did book. You Google. <laughs> I read the book uh, written by Jonathan Abrams, um, and he talks about how in that book he talks about how they took a lot of effort to get uh, a fake phallus. Um, that looked big enough and realistic enough to to fit Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> it does look a little rubbery. <laughs> do we see it enough? Do we see it long enough to I get? I mean, it's not like I pre-framed it or anything. <laughs> that looks like a rubbery penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we had a lot of fun last year talking about the uh, the fashion of the wire, particularly yes. D'Angelo's turtleneck. Absolutely. Uh, but this year, and I think we have a very strong contender. Uh, first episode straight out the gates straight out the gates for <laughs> Wire Fashionista of the Year award and it's Ziggy it, it was always going to be Ziggy I mean it's like that <laughs> the scene in the pub um, in Dolores' pub he's wearing 
this like green jumper with like a cartoon dog on it. It's <laughs> almost a Christmas jumper, but it's not quite. And he's got like underneath, he's got uh, some sort of a flaming orange Hawaiian shirt. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's genius. <laughs> it's like he's like he's hipster before hipster was even a thing. I love it. <laughs> I want to replicate that outfit at, at Halloween. Yeah, if someone can uh, reach out to us and let us know where we can buy these <laughs> buy these goods, um, <laughs> yeah. we'd love to know, and uh, we'll, we will take pictures. Wearing, somebody wearing should them. just somebody should just set up like the wire Halloween costume <laughs> or something. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode that we spoke to. We really, really appreciate your time. And thank you to Sonics who helped us transcribe all the interviews that we'd recorded with those contributors. If you want 103 minutes of transcription time, go to sonics.ai and tell them that we sent you. And uh, thank you. You may have noticed our lovely new graphics. They were done by Chris Sutera and we still have lovely old graphics from Izzy Lawrence. So thank you both of them. Yep, uh, Sam and Martin from the Song by Song podcast. Thank you for the tunes that everyone can hear right now. And as always, thank you to the wind beneath our wings, Mr. Tom <laughs> Wally, our producer, who keeps everything ticking over. Yeah. Cheers, Tom. And don't forget, you can follow us at The Wire Stripped on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You'll also find the details for our burner phone there. So leave us a WhatsApp voicemail. Yep. And also our website is thewirestrip.com. And do please leave us a message, an email burner at thewirestripped.com that's it we'll see you next week it's good to be back catch you there guys bye bye